0: Years ago, I was working at a grocery store in East Tennessee. I was actually a student in Bob College. And I witnessed a teenager that worked with me, and he began to talk about some experiences he had. He told me they had a cousin that was into some really dark stuff, and that His cousin had walked him through kind of a ritual and he told me, he said, I, I went through a portal and I heard a woman's voice. She was calling to me. And then he looked at me and he said. He said, Spencer, do you think that really happened? And I said, yeah, I think it did. Matter of fact, I'm pretty confident that it did. And he said, well, what was that? I said, that was her. He said, you know who she is? I said, oh yeah. Us Christians. We've been dealing with her for a very long time. See, some of you have got this weird idea in your mind that Gnosticism is some anomaly, some strange religion that people practiced 2,000 years ago, but it disappeared. But truth be told, some of you are Gnostics and you don't even know it. I see Gnosticism every day. The mystery of religion does not disappear. It just changes forms.
1: Adi Yogi absorbed her
0: and made her a part of himself, the ideal man, where one half of him is woman. And like a tiger hunting its prey, it circles around until it finds an angle that works. The angle that seems to be working right now is feminism. Women's liberation, which is nothing more than modern Gnosticism. Someone who can convert a stone into goddess, can't he convert a woman into goddess or a man into a god? See, you say you're standing against a patriarchy, and you say you're standing against oppression? The Demiurge that you raise your fist to in defiance of is nothing more than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ says that God is good and that we are bad. But Gnosticism was the opposite. It said that God was bad and that we are good and we need to transcend and rise and become our own gods. And see, these evangelical guys, they won't even talk about this. They won't even go here because this is this is something that's just too strong for them i'm telling you these people are putting satan right in front of your face
2: and then on sukkot when we come to sukkot it's full moon so basically
3: this is a group this is a journey of the shekhinah of this female aspect of god growing and developing and, and actually if i'll just say one more thing roshana Rosh is the day of birth of human beings and human beings were created male and female as sort of according to uh, the talmud it was sort of androgynous and on roshana Rosh
0: they're separated so she experiences herself as a separate entity on roshana Rosh could it be so weird to think that satan shows himself in a feminine aspect could that be so weird i mean after all satan went after eve and appealed to the woman why is that so far out This is something that's actually happened in our generation. You know, I'd say in the past, I
3: don't know, 20, 30 years, women are scholars of Kabbalah, women are embodying the Shekhinah, and that's really the first time this has happened. For them,
0: it was more, you know, there was an exception here and there, but it was more an idea. And when you reject God and the Bible, you are doing the exact same thing. But the demiurge is patriarchy. The Demiurge is traditional values. The demiurge is the gospel of Jesus Christ and you will raise your fist in defiance against that demiurge and you'll die and go to hell in your sin. This is the rise of the divine feminine. this is His wickedness. you the boo in february of 2020 we were able to release a documentary on youtube called third adam and in that documentary we explained to you how that all of the religions of the world were going to find common ground and come together as a one world religion we have covered all of these groups and who they are we've dealt with satan eastern religions the occult entertainment false churches the nar and all these other groups here's the main point of this entire video and this is where people are going to get offended but all of these groups here all of them are the same thing with different labels that's what they are this and this and this and this and this are the same thing they are the same poison with a different label on the bottle but it's all the same They are the same thing. Their author is the same. Their fruit is the same. The practices are the same. They are the same thing. That's what they are. And when these groups all come together and unite as one, they are going to usher in a world leader and they're going to declare him to be God and he's going to have signs and wonders and power and they're all going to worship him and they're all going to take that mark. In their forehead and that through this great merger of all religions there would come forth a man who would be the head of all this and he would be called the Antichrist and we have given him the term the third Adam because he will be claiming to be God himself and we made our case in that video explaining how we believe that the world is perfectly primed and prepared right now for something like that to transpire. And then on June 6th of 2020, we released 3rd Adam 2, The Great Seduction. And we explained to you how that this great religious gathering, which the Bible calls the Whore of Babylon, the one world religion, how that it would seduce others to yoking up with it, and that experience and even music would be the glue that bound everyone together. It's gonna be none other than the new apostolic reformation. It's gonna be your Bethel, it's gonna be Hillsong, it's gonna be all these compromising, new evangelical people. Now, most people would say, you know, Spencer, how in the world are all these denominations gonna work with Roman Catholicism? How is that even possible? Well, if you look at their doctrinal statement on paper, it's not possible, it never has been possible. What is the thing that unites these people? it's going to have to be experience and in order to unite around experience you have to throw doctrine to the wind just for the sake of unity they're all going to unite around a generic form of worship worshiping a generic deity saying love grace hope and it's going to be this soft unconditional love like a mother's love And we went all the way back to Nimrod in the book of Genesis and we explained to you how that this has always been Satan's goal is to unite the world together. And the Tower of Babel was one of those examples of that trying to happen. We showed you how that many times through history Satan has tried to play the same game from a different angle, bring the world together and unite the world the truth is yes all false religions if you follow them upstream the fountain head of all of those religions is mystery Babylon Genesis chapter 11 is where all of these false religions began the only exceptions that do not have their foundation in mystery Babylon are Christianity and Judaism and so there's gonna come a day where all of these religious people are gonna realize what I'm telling you in this video that yes we all have the same source. And we showed you that there was a mystery religion that we're calling the mystery of Babylon. And this religion has always existed throughout the Old Testament. And that this religion somehow finds a way to worship a female deity. We showed you the pagan trinity of Nimrod, Semiramis, and Tammuz. And we showed you how that in paganism, there's always an emphasis on the Great Mother and the Divine Son. And we even showed you how that this transcended so many different cultures throughout all of history. And although the names were different, it was still basically the same religion. It was goddess worship. And when it comes to studying these religions, and there's so many of them, the difficulty is is that it is so complex, and it's always evolving and always changing. So if you find this religion and you identify it today, well, tomorrow it's going to reinvent itself. And so you have to go through all the work again and re-identify this religion. And it can be a very difficult thing to do if you're not a discerning person. And we have done a tremendous amount of research trying to go through volumes of religious documents through history, uh, through theology studies, and just trying to identify this. And thankfully, we have been able to whittle it down to just a few core principles that we want to give to you to help you identify this mystery religion. Now, everybody has got to understand that there are not hundreds and thousands of different religions in the world. The truth is there are only two religions in the world. Bible believing Christianity and mystery Babylon. That's it. It's just that simple. And as we dig into these principles and these truths, we pray that you would have an open mind and an open heart. There's a lot of things here that are very heavy. And there are things in this documentary that could change your life and change the way you see the world forever. This video is instructional and educational in nature, but it also is a dreadful warning for those who are going down the wrong road. There are demonic, deceptive forces at work now that are so masterfully crafted, so unbelievably clever that even the bible says that if it were possible it would deceive the very elect we want to shed light on this deception and god is calling you out of this darkness and into his marvelous light the truths we will speak about here are not a game your very soul could be at stake Rise up! is everywhere, and I'm going to show you. Come with me. The ninth vision of Zechariah is found in Zechariah chapter 5 and verse 5. And the Bible says, Then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up now thine eyes and see what is this that goeth forth. And I said, What is it? And he said, This is an epoch that goeth forth. He said, Moreover, this is their resemblance through all the earth. And behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead. And this is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the epoch. And he said, this is wickedness.
1: seeing is actually the rise of a form of female totalitarianism so we have no idea what totalitarianism would be like if women ran it because that's never happened before in the history of the planet and so we've introduced women into the political sphere radically over the last 50 years we have no idea what the consequence of that is going to be
3: i couldn't go into to things that that dealt with medicine. I couldn't go into law. I couldn't go into the real professions. It was extremely limiting. And of course, the overall goal was to find a husband, um, get married, have children, and live with a white picket fence.
0: Now, I'm not an old man, but I've had the opportunity to speak to several old people through the years. And many of them basically say the same thing, that this is not the world that I grew up in. No doubt. I mean, the world changes. Technology changes. Times change. And we all understand that. But the changes that I'm seeing that are happening today are different. It's, It's not something that technology is progressing. It's that the very belief structures that people have held to for so long in this country are eroding away. And there are so many people out there today that are advocating for what they call change. And there's a lot of people out there today in the political world, they're calling for what they say is progress.
3: That women's progress is human progress. And human progress is women's progress once and for all.
2: And she knows that to change the world, you need to change the idea of power.
0: So the question has to be asked, what is this change that they want? What is this progress that they want? And what is this shift that they're trying to accomplish? What is it shifting to? And probably more importantly, what is it shifting away from?
3: We can take our witchery back. We can take our sisterhood back and most importantly, our personal sovereignty. These movements generate changes in policy that signal a true shift in international
0: attitudes and practice towards equal rights. And many of them are saying that, okay, men are dominating women, men are ahead of women, men are, are cheating women out of their fair share of money or positions or whatever.
3: Justice is about how much ladies get paid.
0: And we're going to change that. They're calling this progress. And certainly I have noticed, just as you have, that there's a number of women that are holding prominent positions in political power today. Uh, There's more women CEOs, more more women athletes that are getting all the attention.
3: This is our time. And prevails.
0: My job in all this is to try to find the religious connection. What is the theological views of people that is causing them to believe this political ideology or even this social ideology that they hold to? What is the theological roots of this? And why do these people have such a just disdain for the Bible?
3: I can't believe in a faith that treats me as a second class citizen placing limitations of stained glass ceilings upon half of humanity holding us back based on
2: gender
0: and i've been doing lots of digging lots of research and i'm going to tell you it's not good now the bible teaches something that is commonly called complementarianism which is the idea that men and women are equal in value but they just have different gifts and have different roles to play in society and in the church and in the home. It does not mean that one is better than the other or more valuable than the other, that's absurd. Nobody who believes the Bible preaches that. But we do understand from looking at the Bible that men are given a different task than women and women are given a different task than men. And this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden where the bible says man and woman created he them and a good analogy to understand this is the military analogy now the united states military has several branches but i'll just give you four of them i mean you have the army the air force the navy and the marines they're all equally valuable because they all do something that is vital it's just different now the air force is a very valuable tool to have when you're fighting a war but the air force by itself really is not complete. It's it's not enough to do the entire job just by itself. And the same with the Navy. The Navy has a huge role to play in warfare and getting troops to locations and things like that. But by itself, the Navy is not going to be able to do everything that needs to be done. And if you have a great well-trained army and a great well-trained Marine Corps, and you don't have an Air Force to cover them or a Navy to transport them, uh, then you, you just don't have all the tools that you need to get every job done. You are not a fully furnished military force. You've got to have all facets of it working together. And none is more vital or more important than the other, but they, they all complement each other, if you will. And that's really the best illustration I give you of complementarianism. And in the roles of men and women, men need women and women need men. And we complement each other. And we all have different roles that we have to play and and fulfill and that's how god has designed the world to be but the shift that i'm seeing is away from complementarianism or commonly known as like traditional gender roles into something called egalitarianism i mean
3: We are capable of being more than just eye candy.
1: The audiences are embracing and even asking for, begging for really strong female
0: superheroes. So
3: let's get some diversity rising up.
0: And the cry today is that women should not be held back from any position of power or any paycheck or anything like that because of their gender. And the war cry today is that women can do anything a man can do. And why is this call for a shift always somehow connected to women? Why are the groups that are running these organizations almost exclusively women? And why, when these groups organize publicly, that it is largely made up of angry, hateful, crude, and lewd and wicked women?
3: Fight for the right to be free.
0: To be who we are, to be equal. And the question that I want to propose to you when we see these things, and I'm sure that everybody sees this, is that that is the effect. That's what we're seeing. But what is the cause? Why is this happening? Could there be some religious theological view or maybe even a spiritual spirituality that is causing this to happen and if so if there is a theological view or a spirituality or even a spirit that is causing this shift then is that spirit of God or is it from somewhere else And why is it that the men that are involved with it they take on kind of a jezebel ahab dynamic where she's in charge she's the angry one she's the wicked one and he's just kind of like the spineless wicked guy who just goes along with whatever she says
1: biden knows a stronger america is one that works for women
0: and women largely on a scale never seen before are being called to rise up and throw off this system that we now live in and it's happening to a degree and on such a large scale such as has never been seen before
3: the serpent is here to get you to rise to rise to get you to see beyond what you've been told the serpent is the spirit of the divine feminine energy
0: so let me explain to you for a few minutes what i would call esoteric world history and when you're trying to deal with these people you have to kind of understand where they're coming from and how they see the world basically i want to give you this timeline here this is world history And uh, the blue line, we're going to call that masculine energy. And then this red line, we're going to call it feminine energy. And in the esoteric minded person, they believe that there's been these times where consciousness has shifted from masculine to feminine many times throughout history. And they believe that the first time that the feminine energy took over and dominated the masculine energy was in Genesis chapter three at the fall of man in the garden. They actually believed that the fall of man was a good thing, and that these people were set free from this bondage, this cage called the Garden of Eden, and that Lucifer was the one who brought them the truth and brought them the light and set them free. And now the masculine is, is subservient to the feminine now. And they believed that time went on and things were good, but something else happened where the script got flipped again and consciousness shifted back to masculine being dominating feminine again, and they believe that this event was Genesis chapter 7 with the flood of Noah. And biblically, I guess we could make a case for that because in this time period when this energy was ruling the world, these people were exceedingly wicked and were living anti-God, anti-Christ lives. They were exceedingly sinful. And so God basically just wiped the whole world out And in the esoteric world mind, that's when the masculine started dominating the feminine again. But esoteric history teaches that there was another shift in consciousness back to the feminine energy controlling the world again. And that happened in Genesis chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel. We all know from the Bible account that God confounded the languages and spread them across the world. But that didn't mean that that God corrected their theology or even wiped them out. It just means he spread them out. And you see, it's after this time in history where Semiramis came to be prominent in the esoteric world. And uh, basically, she was the one who ran the show. Nimrod had died, and everybody got into this tower, woman worship, and pyramids all over the world. Uh, This is the time period after Genesis 11 when all of that happened. But according to their history, the next major shift in consciousness that we are still in today was the rise of Abraham. And we know biblically God made a covenant with Abraham that was unconditional. It was going to happen no matter what. And uh, this is actually what the esoteric world calls the rise of patriarchy. And I think it is significant how most Bible commentators call guys like Abraham, patriarchs in the Old Testament. Now, in their mind, there was a day where Semiramis, the goddess, was revered and that she was the one in charge of everything. Her day was glorious and wonderful, but some evil thing called patriarchy came along and ruined that. And so, because of this patriarchy pushing women down, the, the feminine energy of the world has been suppressed for far so long. She lived, as we all have lived, too many years in a culture broken by
1: brutally powerful men.
0: And what they're saying is that there's going to come a day where the consciousness is going to shift again, and we will go back into a golden age where the divine feminine will rise once again.
1: For too long, women have not been heard or believed if they dared to speak their truth to the power of those men. But their time is up.
0: And the esoteric world calls this shift in consciousness from masculine being being subservient now to the feminine being dominant this is what they call the rise of the divine feminine that's what they're doing that's what they're trying to accomplish everything is to try to shift this and flip the script that's what they're trying to do
1: so i want all the girls watching here now to know that a new day is on the horizon
0: And although there's plenty of angles that Satan could take to make this happen, I believe one of the main political groups that is working towards this is feminism. And that is the goal of feminism. They're trying to literally flip the script on the patriarchy because that's evil. And I have in my hand here an article from the Huffington Post in November of 2011. And this is called The Divine Feminine Unveiled." And the woman who wrote this is Dr. Elizabeth Diebold. And in this article, she says here, over the last 20 years, however, something deeper has started stirring in women, a motivation to change culture at its roots. the goal is to create a new spiritual and ethical context that would balance and heal our hyper-masculine world through honoring the feminine as sacred. And so basically, she's saying that there is a new spirituality that is stirring in the world. And they're trying to take this masculine and lower it and the feminine and raise it. This is the golden age that they want. They want the feminine to rise. And when that new day finally dawns, it will be because of a lot of
2: magnificent women
0: And they've been working for over 50 years now to make this happen. And I think now we're starting to see this really start to take shape. This is the shift. This is the change. What is evil is good, and what is good is now evil. The whole world's flipped upside down. And that explains almost every current event that is going on right now, is that there is a rise of the divine feminine. We are trying to get back to this era right here. Nimrod, Semiramis, and Tammuz, this pagan history, Babylon religion. We've had our time here as Christians, but now they're trying to take it back from us. That really is the esoteric worldview in a nutshell.
2: On the side of. on your side. Wow.
0: And he cast it into the midst of the epaph and he cast the weight of lead upon the mouth thereof then lifted up my eyes and looked and behold there came out two women and the wind was in their wings for they had wings like the wings of a stork and they lifted up the epaph between the earth and the heaven then i said unto the angel that talked with me whither do these bear the epaph and he said unto me to build it an house in the land of Shinar and it shall be established and set there upon her own base this image of a woman the Bible says this is their resemblance through all the earth and it even says in verse number 8 that this is wickedness this image of this woman is everywhere in the world according to the Bible and that this image is the Representation of wickedness. For any man to successfully enter into a warfare, he has to understand his enemy. And our enemy is Satan. There's no doubt about that. And so, to understand his tactics, we have to go back and look at his track record. How does Satan work? And I fear that most people today are unwilling to objectively evaluate his tactics, because they could find something that's not necessarily politically correct. And so, let's just go see what the Bible actually has to say. And so, here in the garden, you have the woman, you have the man, and you have animals, and you have plants. Now, if you've ever seen those videos where people set up these thousands of dominoes and they set it up in some elaborate design, all of that comes down because they flick one domino over and the whole thing comes down. And a lot of people have done a lot of interesting videos on that. But in a sense, Satan did the same thing when he looked at the Garden of Eden and he said, what is the one thing that I can attack that will take down everything? Well, Satan chose to go after the woman. Because he knew if he got the woman, then he got everything. And the whole entirety of creation fell that day. And so whatever you believe, it doesn't matter. The truth is Satan chose to attack women. And that's not something that's like demeaning to women. Really what that is, that's something that shows the value that women have. And so God comes on the scene. And of course he has to judge sin because he's a holy God. And so this is the structure that God set up after the fall. Now we understand that Satan loves to go after women. That is his favorite tactic. So what did God do? God put a godly man between Satan and the woman And so now, if Satan wants to go after women, there is a safeguard in place now to defend her from the attack of Satan, and it's the godly husband. So in the creation of man and woman, God gives two different roles to play. And it is my conviction, according to the word of God, that man is designed to be the protector of the woman, and not only physically, but spiritually as well. And there's a number of different Bible verses we could cite on that. Uh, But women need this protection from men and it is just natural for a man to be protective of women. I mean, how many times years ago have we seen uh, the typical cartoon of some woman, some damsel in distress and uh, a cartoon character comes and rescues her. Uh, That's very common and that's just natural in the human heart and human conscience. I believe God put that there. But my friend Justin Ross served in the United States Marine Corps and was in Afghanistan and actually has a very interesting take on women being introduced into combat units and how that drastically changed the entire dynamic of how men functioned in a combat situation when there's a woman now part of the unit. All right, this is Justin Ross. He was a sergeant in the United States Marine Corps deployed to Afghanistan. And he had an experiment done in his combat unit over there in Afghanistan, where they tried to introduce women into the unit. And uh, Justin is gonna tell us about that, how that completely changed the dynamic of the combat unit. Justin, thank you for being here. Go ahead and tell us uh, the whole situation there with your combat unit, putting women inside of that. I
1: enlisted in 2010, I deployed in 2013. And I was a field radio operator, for those that are familiar with that. And when I deployed, I was attached with regimental combat team 2. And basically our job was to go to these different remote villages in Afghanistan. And basically, uh, we would, as we would say, win the heart minds of the locals, try to gather information, intel, um, immerse yourself within their culture, try to respect their culture, try to, all this stuff to try to gather information on the enemy. They would have what they called uh, female engagement teams or lioness teams, where basically they were a female group of either, we were mostly Marines, but um, some other nations have some too. And the whole point of those at the time were to be respectful of customs over there because as males, we could not physically, you know, um, as officers, you know, search for weapons and stuff like that. We would do the same thing. We couldn't do that to females because men were not allowed to touch females unless you were married to them or whatever. Um, So we'd have females with us attached to our unit and they would help out with things like that and be able to talk to some of the females one-on-one, things like that. But during that time in 2013, uh, I think it started in 12 and 13, um, Obama was our president, and Congress, Obama, and all the political things going on, they really pushed for females on combat roles. But they did a test, and they came out with the results, I think, of 15, uh, the Marine Corps Times and a few other big newspaper groups, whatever. They came out with these test results, and they were disastrous. There are opportunities that where we would be in a combat zone, we'd be in combat situations, there would be females attached to our unit. And and it's not that they weren't necessarily physically fit or mentally capable, but what happened was a lot of male Marines reacted completely different, but we're over there. We have situations be in combat, and although they weren't necessary infantry Marine females, they were attached to our unit, um, either as lioness groups or um, female engagement teams. And, and when combat took place, males operated differently. They would see a damsel in distress. Even if they weren't in distress, it's just the way that we're designed. We, we tend to act that way now many people today look at this structure here that god
0: created and say that this is demeaning to women and those who reject christianity they would call this patriarchy
3: in the simplest terms patriarchy is a social system that values masculinity over femininity this type of social system dictates that men are entitled to be in charge and dominate women so
1: patriarchy is a society or institution marked by the supremacy
3: of the father
0: And the truth is, is God is good, and this is not some design to oppress women. This is a design to protect women. And the reason is, is because this entity right here is always trying to go after that entity right there. That's his favorite tactic. That's what he's always trying to do. And Satan knows that if he can get her, then he can get everybody. This is a consistent theme all throughout the Bible, and really this whole concept does not demean women in the slightest. This actually shows how vitally important women are, and if women weren't important, then why is Satan going after them like he does? It's because even Satan knows that the woman, if he's got her, then he's got everybody
3: So my job was to let the court see that these classifications more often put women not on a pedestal, but in a cage.
0: The weather is perfect. The sun is shining. The flowers are beautiful. And there's a feeling of liberation. A weight has been lifted. For once you feel free. Why didn't you do this sooner, you ask? could this be wrong when it feels so right? But what you don't realize is the flowers are always beautiful on the road to hell. When you embrace this, it's like pulling a string on a sweater and the more you pull it, the worse it gets until eventually the whole thing becomes unraveled and in a sense you're opening Pandora's box. No matter what you do, you can never put all the pieces back in. This is the mystery that lures you away from God. Anytime a society rejects God the Father, they eventually will embrace God the Mother. And I want you to know that this Mother has many names. Some people call her Isis. Some call her Mary, Kali, Ceres, Virgo, Lilith, Diana, Venus, Sophia, Ishtar, Hathor, Lucifera. Ashtoreth, Semiramis, the Baphomet, some call her the Black Virgin, the Scarlet Woman, the Weeping Virgin, the Celestial Virgin, and some people call her Columbia. military the highest award that somebody can get is the medal of honor and we've seen you know we've seen every president give the medal of honor to somebody for acts of bravery or whatever uh, in the service of our country uh, but have you ever actually looked at the medal of honor before have you ever actually like looked at it i want to show you something here here's just a photo of like donald trump giving this to somebody and of course this is nothing unusual to us and uh, this happens all the time, and every president gives these out, uh, but like the the actual Medal of Honor itself, there's three of them, and of course, we have the Army gives one, the Navy gives one, and the Air Force gives one, uh, but this is the Medal of Honor like Society, this is their Congressional Medal of Honor Society website, and uh i want I want to show you what's actually on these okay there's three of them the army has one the navy has one and then the air force gets a certain one the army if you look that's minerva That that is a female goddess that is the divine feminine uh if you look at the navy they give one with athena on there and you can see her that's that's a that's a, a lady and then the uh the air force they get libertas which is a statue of liberty and so the medal of honor is actually a symbol of the divine feminine goddess. That's if you do something brave for our country, you get an award with this female goddess on it. I mean, that's, that's exactly what you get. And I had never really even looked at it before, but I'm telling you, listen guys, when I tell you this is everywhere, I mean it, this literally is everywhere. She is right in plain view, and you, and you just, you don't see her, but she's there. She is everywhere. It just blows my mind. So once Adam and Eve are banished from the garden, they have to go out and start a family and build a life together, and God had an order and a design for the home. And this is what it looked like, uh, that Christ is the head of the family, of course, and that Christ is head of the man, man is head of the woman, and the woman is the head of the children. And this was God's design. And so if Satan is going to attack the home, he's going to do the same thing he did in the garden. He's going to go after the woman. And so what's happening today is that Satan is going after these women. And he's saying that this whole structure here is demeaning, and it is degrading to women, and that women should be raised up to the next level. It was a pecking order from the origins of our country uh, to now
3: that certain men would have certain jobs, and they all agreed on what the sequence would be. Our planet is being neglected, and that's all because the feminine energy has been
0: suppressed. And so what women do oftentimes is they actually reject this whole paradigm, calling it patriarchy and whatever, and they are saying that we need to rise to at least the same level with the man, and be equal with the man.
3: Feminism. Is not trying to take from men, but just trying to raise to the same level as what men have. And just to be clear, being a feminist does not mean that I wish to push down or talk poorly of men.
0: And that ends up looking something like this. And so what happens is is that women want to break free from this structure. And they want to rise to be what they say is equal with the man. And see, it's the same tactic that Satan used in the garden. He said, you could be your own God. And basically he was saying that you're, you're down here, but you could go and be your own God. You could raise up in this system but because of some structure that you're in you're being restricted and put down and you need to rise up thousands year old patriarchy that needs to be disposed
3: of and brought into balance the serpent is here to get you to rise to rise we can take our witchery back
0: And this move from here to here is what is called in the occultic world, the rise of the divine feminine.
3: The serpent is the spirit of the divine feminine energy.
0: All right, we have our friend Stephanie Light on the phone with us today. And she is a former new age psychic and was doing involved with Hollywood stars, readings and things like that for them. Uh, she's now a born-again Christian and has come out of all that. She's a member of an independent Baptist church up in Montana. Stephanie, thank you for being here with us today. The first question really that I have is, what's the deal with the occult being so appealing to women? I mean, it's just like they, they, they recruit them aggressively and women seem to go for it. Um, it seems like that a lot of these new age churches that I've seen are just filled with women. Um, what, what's the, what is the appeal? What are they trying to do?
3: women are revered in the new age, um, their God is worship. And so the females are being put up on a pedestal. And, you know, a lot of women are running to that because of their anti-patriarchal attitudes. And of course, the, the misunderstanding of what that actually is. And so I thought Satan's soul cage uh, because these women are seeking answers and a sense of control. And so they run to Anything that makes them feel good or even if it's temporary it it, it works for them and a lot of single women Especially in the world right now a lot of single moms Are being just drawn in by the droves into new age practices
0: it seems like that Satan when he was in the Garden of Eden, he didn't go after Adam. He went after Eve because um, and you said it gives him a sense of control so um, and I guess that would line up perfectly with what, Adam, with what Satan gave to Adam. He said, you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. There's something that you could have that you're being withheld from. And uh, yeah. is, is that the mindset that they try to give today?
3: Yeah, absolutely. 100%. You know, they, they, they seek it and then they dismiss it as being from angels and fairies or spirit guides, different totems. You know, they don't realize that Satan is the orchestrator of all of this.
0: But the common thread of mystery religion is that they believe in what they call dualities. And basically what they believe is that there's opposite energies in the universe. There's good and bad, light and dark. And by merging these two, they can bring what they call balance or wholeness to their lives. And really in modern pop culture, the most prominent example of this is Star Wars. You have Darth Vader on one side; and he's the dark side, and then you have Luke Skywalker on the other side; he is the light side. And they always talk about trying to bring balance to the Force. Well, where did they get that? Well, they, they got that from Eastern mystical, esoteric
1: religions. The Force basically came from, uh, you know, distilling all of the uh, religious beliefs, spiritual beliefs, go all around the world, all through time, finding the similarities and then creating a, an easy to uh, deal with metaphor for what religion is.
0: Another example of this is the yin-yang. And this is a very prominent symbol in martial arts. What is that? It's a duality. It's two opposing forces meant to be brought together, merged together to bring balance. And in modern New Age religion, which is just another derivative of esoteric mysticism and the occult, they talk about the divine masculine and the divine feminine. Okay, so we know that Things like the yin-yang are obvious occult symbols. You have the black and the white and the white and the black and all that kind of stuff. And so it's just a big duality here that is all a big merger. But this is an Eastern Oriental version of an occultic symbol, the merger of the masculine and feminine. Also, there's another one that you might have noticed throughout time and didn't really see what it was. Something like that, which is what we call the Ankh. Now, the ankh is has a cross on the bottom and a loop on the top, and the cross on the bottom is the masculine, and the loop on the top is the feminine. That's masculine-feminine merged together. Divine feminine, divine masculine. Now, there's a reason why the womb, divine feminine, is on top. In ancient Africa, we were not a patriarchal society. We were a matriarch.
2: So, we we uplifted our women. We uplifted our women. We we cared for our women. Our women's voice was valued. Okay, and it was a system that um, is not like today's
3: system, where women don't really have the the same rights, or in uh, traditional European uh, belief
0: system, that women were lesser than or had. Now, another one that we see that's pretty prominent is the infinity symbol. And we can see that very obviously in this video. And uh, you have the feminine merged with the masculine here. Now, another one that's out there is the sun and the moon. And so you see this pretty well anytime you see something occultic. And so you have the sun being the masculine and the moon representing feminine. And that one is actually very prominent. You can see that a number of different places. There are several others that you can see that are a little bit less conspicuous, but they came from somewhere, and I'm going to show you what they are. One of these symbols is the acorn, and if you look back in Roman history, you'll see on a lot of coins that the acorn symbol is used quite often. Uh, it exists. I mean, there's foliage, and there'll be an acorn on it. And matter of fact, even Western European druid witches would actually exchange acorns as a sign of identifying themselves as a cultist. And so, but in this, you see that uh, the masculine is down here, and then, of course, the receiving the cap of the acorn is the feminine. This is actually a symbol of duality, believe it or not. And uh, it's very common in Druid history and things like that. Now, if I were just to put on the board a triangle upside down, you would all know that that is the basic symbol of the divine feminine. But there came a time in French history where a bunch of French occultists got a hold of this symbol, and they just altered it just a little bit, and that symbol became that heart right there. And we all recognize that, but that, and many historians can't agree on where it came from, but I'm going to tell you right now, Whether you like it or not, that was born in the occult. It's a symbol of love. It's a symbol of just getting along and sensuality. This is a symbol of the divine feminine.
1: I belong inside your heart shape.
0: So here we have the Eastern world, we have the Egyptian world, and then there's a lot of occultists, and this is two universal symbols right here of the divine masculine divine feminine. Let's say that this is England and Western European, and then this is French version of the divine feminine. Well, let's hop over to Ireland. Let's take this symbol right here, and let's make it green. And let's say that that's the feminine. Well, we need something to balance that out. We need a duality here, and let's put one on the bottom. And let's make that the masculine and then let's just do it again instead of up and down let's do it side to side just just alter it just a little bit let's just say masculine feminine and then let's just put a little stem on it does that look familiar to you well it should because it's actually a magic symbol it's a symbol of duality and we don't call it magic today we just call it a, a good luck charm but that's what it is this is an occultic
2: symbol.
0: Okay, now let's do another one. Let's, uh, let's take this symbol, upside down triangle, and let's do it just like this and that's the feminine well let's add one underneath it and we'll balance this one out to be masculine and so we'll put a masculine here and a feminine there well let's take it sideways and just do like we do with the four-leaf clover and let's do this here and uh let's just call this feminine and call this masculine what i've done there for you is i've drawn the symbol of the Knights Templar. The Knights Templar were not a military wing of the Catholic Church. They were actually devout occultists. They worshiped Mary and they worshiped the Baphomet. And we'll prove that to you a little bit later. But these people were not the heroes of Christianity. These people were actually demon-worshiping occultists. And they are going to hell and they're all in hell. They're evil, wicked people. And this was their symbol as they went forth slaughtering people across the world. All of this is a, is satanic, all of this is evil, everything you see behind me is straight from the pits of hell. It is occultism, it is dualities, and it is not of God. This is satanic in nature, but then again, this is mystery religion we're speaking about. Bet you didn't know what this is, did you? This is Wolverine, he's one of my favorite toys as a kid. And I found this at a flea market and I bought it. It was like five bucks and, um, has all the superheroes on the back and all that kind of stuff right there. A lot of Marvel stuff. But a lot of people don't realize that all these, um, a lot of these people with these powers, it's all based on dualities. The, the actual logo of the X-Men is, uh, divine masculine. And then normally they put a circle around it. That's the divine feminine, masculine, feminine, it's a duality. And, uh, so people really don't get it, don't realize it, but much of this X-Men stuff is based on occultic powers and it's based on, uh, you know, having your dualities merge and, and sinking all that. And then, you know, like having power to do things in the universe, that's what all this is based on. Most people you don't realize, but that, that is a duality symbol that is everywhere. It is right in your face. And this is what the occult does. It hides right in plain view and you had no idea. So what you have, basically, is two opposing worldviews. This one is biblical, and this one is esoteric in nature. I want to just give you the difference between the two. This one is God's way, and we'll call this order. But the one on this side, where the woman rises up and becomes equal with the male, we're going to call this one. You have order. And then you have balance
3: we need this this balance this equilibrium equanimity between the energies
1: feminism literally just means you believe in equality of the sexes
0: and so in the esoteric world when they're talking about balance this is what they're speaking of because they view man being above woman as an oppression of women or a putting down of women.
3: Masculine energy has been the dominant energy for at least the last 5,000 years. We know of the existence of the goddess energy, the feminine energy that within each one of us is yin and yang. So there's black and white, there's dark and light in each one of us.
0: And so they want to bring these two into balance. And so this is how they see everything. They see men above women and they want to rise the feminine up to the man so that they're equal and that this duality is made whole.
3: It's not that a man shouldn't be in power. It's not that a woman shouldn't be in power. It's not that one can lead better than the other. It's that the energies within them must be balanced to be good leaders
0: and really those who are in this worldview, when they look at the biblical order that god has this is all they see is that men being above women and the only reason they give is okay he's above me because of his gender and that's the only thing that they see
3: a suppression of the goddess and a suppression of the moon
0: and from their point of view that does make sense because i mean who wants to be under a man just because he's a man. I mean that nobody would go for that. But here's the part that they're missing. They're missing the fact that this is God's order and that Christ is ahead of the man and the man is ahead of the woman and woman is to be ahead of the children. And this is God's order and what you have really is a problem with society where you have men who aren't living for Christ and aren't following Christ And so these women, they see these men, but they don't see Christian men or godly men. They don't even see Christ. And so to them in their mind, who wants to submit to all these godless men? And quite frankly, I can't blame them.
3: Leaders who are balanced will lead balanced nations. And that's simply not what we have right now.
0: I mean, who wants to submit to a guy just because he's a guy? And so they break out of that and they, they rise up to be equal with the man. And so our God is a God of order. But anytime you hear people talking esoteric talk, they will always use words like balance. And these two are opposing worldviews. Now, when a person breaks free from God's design for life, there are actually unintended consequences there. Now, I want to show you what they are. If you notice here on this side, there's four sections, but on this side, there's only two. What sections are missing? Well, you have Christ and the child are missing. So let's place them down here. In this system, Christ and children belong and they fit, but in this system, they do not. And the truth is anytime someone goes from here to here, rejecting this format and they embrace this format they always end up hating christ and they have no use for children and that's probably why they abort them so much so what is the rise of the divine feminine Well, it's pretty simple. The rise of the divine feminine is a shift in mindset from a biblical worldview to an occultic worldview. The rejection of Bible Christianity and a biblical worldview by saying that there's some injustice in this, they call it patriarchy or whatever, to embrace fully an occultic or satanic worldview. That is the rise of the divine feminine. She goes from here, rising up to here. So let me show you guys something that my friend Tony showed me and it is, it's a big deal as far as the divine feminine and what we're dealing with here. Let me, let me just show you this on the screen. What you have first Samuel seven verse number three and Samuel spake unto the house of Israel saying, if you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, put away strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you uh, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. I find it funny how that there's this emphasis on Ashtaroth, and the reason that uh, the Lord said and Ashtaroth and Ashtaroth, or whatever you want to say is because that is that ancient fem that female goddess. That's who that is. She's everywhere. She's been everywhere, and once a once a nation and once a people gets a taste of her and her religion it's incredibly difficult to get rid of it this just the emphasis that god places on ashtaroth that's the divine feminine she's everywhere y'all this is not something new that spencer smith came up with this is as old as time itself simiramis and many other names she has But Ashtoreth is the Divine Feminine. Many also don't realize that some of the days of the week are actually named after this goddess woman. Many people don't realize that the Anglo-Saxon word monadeg, which means the moon's day, became what we call Monday, which is in reference to the goddess of the moon. The day of the week called Friday, is an old german word for frigidog which is in reference to a norse god frigga which is of course a goddess entity the city of athens found in greece and georgia and several other places in the world is actually in reference to the greek goddess athena and even the word attica is oftentimes in reference to athena several of the months of the year have been named after ancient goddesses the month of april many people believe that that is in reference to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. Some even say that the month of May is in reference to the god Maya, which is the ancient goddess of growing plants. Now back in ancient Roman culture, the month of June was the most popular month to get married, and actually in Western society today still is the most popular month to get married. But they named that month because of the goddess Juno, and many people don't know this, but she was actually the goddess of marriages. And many states in the United States have been named after a goddess figure. Around 1510, there was a man named Garci Rodriguez de Montalvo, and he wrote a novel called The Adventures of Esplandian. And in that, he wrote about a mythical island called California, and there was a goddess woman who was the ruler of that land, and her name was Calafia, and so California gets its name from a goddess woman. One of the earliest states in the United States was called Virginia, and the reason it was called Virginia is because the very first few letters in that word spell virgin, which is in reference to the virgin queen of England, which is in reference to a virgin goddess. And in early American history, people don't realize it, but there was actually a split between Protestants and Catholics. And if you were a practicing Catholic, you had to go down to a place in the south called Mary's Land, where they worshiped Mary. And we know that state to be called Maryland today. The whole state was created so that goddess worshipers could live together. That's what Maryland is. Another name for this goddess creature is Columbia. And so I find it interesting that in the Virgin's land and in Mary's land, you have the district of a goddess called Columbia, right between the two. A lot of people think that the state of Indiana was called that way because of the Indians, but the truth be told, it's actually in Diana, which is another name for a goddess. And so what is the Divine Feminine? What does that even mean? The problem is, is that we as God's people, we think biblically, but we're trying to understand a group of people who don't. And these concepts oftentimes are very foreign to Bible believing people. It's pretty simple. It is an Eastern mystical concept that has to do with masculine energy and feminine energy. Now, this is not a biblical concept. This is an esoteric concept. Now, as we explained in 3rd Adam 2, mystery religion is always moving. It's always changing and evolving. And it's taking on different names as it goes. It always changes. It's like it's evolving constantly. The occultic world is obsessed with Unity and what they call balance. God demands order, but Satan tries to give balance. You see, they say that God divided things in the book of Genesis, and the goal of the occult is to merge back what God has divided. And when these divisions, which what they call are dualities, are brought back together and merged back together, then balance is achieved, and that's that's the whole goal. Some even call it wholeness. You were broken, but now you're put back together. And one thing people really don't understand about the Lord is that God is a divider. He always has been. God is a divider, but Satan is a uniter. Satan's always trying to merge back the things that God has divided. God is a divider. Satan is a uniter. It's just that simple. Now, when we talk about the rise of the divine feminine, We understand what that looks like and what people are doing. They're basically rejecting a biblical worldview and going into an esoteric worldview. But we had to kind of really nail down what is the divine feminine? And we went through volumes of information, reading stuff from the secular world to psychology, to Hinduism, to new age mysticism, and just, just, we went through volumes of information. And the tricky part about mystery religion is that it, it's so fluid, it changes all the time, and you know, five different people will be talking and using five different terms for the same thing, and that's really why it's so difficult to nail down. And when the Divine Feminine rises in these people, there are three universal spiritual attributes that all of them have. And let me show you what these spiritual attributes are. The first universal attribute is that every single one of these people becomes They become mystical in nature. And true mysticism is not based on any written document. A true mystic hates being bound by any creed or any dogma or any biblical text. Their theological views are shaped by experience
1: rather than creed. God shows up for me in very practical, real ways. You know, like I work. That's how I meet with God. But I didn't love to open the Bible and read the Bible for hours a day. Or I'd go see a cow being born and I would really feel like I experienced God in those moments.
3: I can't wait to see what you're gonna do and where you're gonna take me. There's a whole nother world. There's a whole nother world that we can't see. Take us up tonight, God, take us up tonight.
0: And really because it has no universal written creed That's kind of what makes it difficult to identify. They don't want that. Now, Helena Blavatsky was the leader of a group called the Theosophants, and she started a religion called Theosophy. And one of her disciples was a lady named Alice Bailey. And Alice Bailey is known today as the mother of New Age religion. And Alice Bailey wrote in a book called The Externalization of the Hierarchy. This is what she put in print. She said, therefore, in the new world order, Spirituality will supersede theology. Living experience will take the place of theological acceptances." And that sums up beautifully the idea of mysticism, is that they, they absolutely have hatred and disdain for any written dogma, creed, or even the Bible. And they may use the Bible sometimes to prove a point, but when they do, they do it in such an allegorical, mystical sense that their harmonic is so bad it's it's almost laughable
3: he drinks of the wine and he gets drunk on it and here just by metaphor what i want to suggest to you this is what happens when people and i want you to think in spiritual terms drink alone On their own fruit they just get drunk on it we got people all over this nation that are boasting in their giftedness drunk on their own fruit nobody else is drinking of it the way they are they're not drinking of anybody else's because all they want is the wine coming from their own fruit
2: our action to keep the law so what
0: god did when he sent his son and this is why we get excited in church and this is why tears fill our eyes when we think about jesus and this is why the gospel is still good
2: news in the world today because god broke the law for love i said to every sinner god broke the law for love
0: The second universal attribute of people whose Divine Feminine has risen is that they become overwhelmingly sensual in nature. Now the basic definition of sensuality is just doing what gratifies your flesh. And when the Divine Feminine is risen in somebody, they, they are overwhelmingly loving and they're even overwhelmingly positive but sensuality is a form of love that is detached from truth self-gratifying and it's self-serving and really that's one of the things about sensuality is that it's always pretending to be a form of love but it's not the type of love that it is is not in line with how the bible defines love i just i've been so filled
2: with love this year that i just feel completely love drunk you guys know that love-sick feeling where you can't stop thinking about that certain person. All you feel is bliss, euphoria, paradise, and butterflies. I swear you guys, this feeling has never been this intense for me. I'm not speaking religious. Jesus Christ is the lover of every human being's soul. You know, as
0: Jesus loves our souls, loves love such souls kind of like a husband loves his bride. People who are sensual in nature are often seeking what feels good instead of what is good. They are literally seeking to gratify their senses. And the only measure that they live by is if it feels good, then it's right. And most people who are into this have morality problems.
1: I'm right on the verge of going and getting the tattoo.
3: You have a moral imperative to, to speak publicly about some of these more controversial issues.
1: No, because we try to be like Jesus. Very rarely did Jesus ever talk about morality or social issues. Alan
0: Watts was an Episcopalian minister and he thought that the rules were too restrictive and they actually kicked him out of the clergy. And he ended up renouncing Christianity altogether. And his first wife divorced him, saying that he was just so immoral and so illicit in his lifestyle, there was no way she could stay married to this man. And then you have Helena Blavatsky, and her character was questioned so many times in her life. I mean, she was accused of fraud over and over and over again. And then you have guys like the famous psychologist Carl Jung, who was a practicer of mystical religions. And he was married to the same woman for 52 years, but he actually lived in open marriage. I mean, the man was completely immoral. And the divine feminine has always been characterized by its desire to just do what feels good. And these people despise any forms of holiness. And the way to aggravate these people is to say that there are things that you can't do. There are moral standards by which you must live by. And the mark of the divine feminine is that they are sensual in nature. They are not chasing what is good. They're just chasing what feels good to them. Look in chapter 12, verse number 1, the Bible says, And when it came to pass that Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, the Bible says, He forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. I want to say that they forsook they forsook God and their devotion. What was once a blessed nation is now about to become a blemished nation. They had forsaken the law of God in the nation of Israel. And I want to say that in most churches that you see in North America, they have basically done the same thing. The law of God doesn't matter. We're just going with what feels good now. And it doesn't really matter what God wants. We're worried about what people want. And men like Bill Hybels and Rick Warren uh, with their purpose, driven churches and all this this uh, seeker-sensitive stuff, they're not worried about what God wants in a church, they're worried about what they want in a church, and they have forsaken the law of God, uh, but I want to say that uh, evangelical churches of today, and by the way, I'm not an evangelical, I'm a fundamentalist, but the average church today is an evangelical church, and, uh, and I've got some studies here just studying the morality of people that are claiming to be evangelicals. And people who do these studies, they just ask you, are you an evangelical? Do you claim to be born again? Do you claim that you know Jesus? And I, I found some shocking things. There's a, there's a website called LifeWayResearch.com, and they are claiming that, uh, that about one out of five, I'm looking at it right here on my phone, one out of five of the women that are having abortions in America claim that they go to church one time a week. That means if a hundred women are walking into an abortion clinic, 20 of them go to church every week. That's an unbelievable thing. What I'm telling you is that that the average church today has forsaken the law of God. They've forsaken the law of God. They're, they're just doing whatever they want to do. We are in the time of judges in the average evangelical church today. And that's from LifeWay.com's uh, research. Let me say also, I, I went to, to look at the, the the alcohol consumption amongst professed evangelicals in modern-day North America. And uh, PewResearch.org has a has a poll that they put out, and they say that, uh, that uh, two-thirds, 66%, of mainline white uh, white mainline protestant church members think that or, uh, they drink alcohol on a regular basis two-thirds of them drink alcohol on a regular basis and it even says here that uh one out of every four white evangelical protestant and what and that basically encompasses com- about 90 percent of these churches today uh not uh, well let's see one out of four only one out of four views of drinking alcohol is morally wrong. Now, that's unbelievable. That means if you have 200 people in the average Southern Baptist church, only 50 of them think drinking alcohol is wrong. We've forsaken the law of God. We have forsaken the law of God. It's terrible. And I'm looking here at the at the, uh, the statistics that they're putting out, and they're saying amongst evangelical people here in America, who, people who claim they're not Catholic, and but they're not really fundamentalists. They're just somewhere in the middle. That, that encompasses, you know, your, your mainline Protestant denominations, your Southern Baptists, and all your weirdo non-denominational people and all that kind of stuff. They're claiming here that three-fourths, of evangelical young people male and female from the ages of 18 to 22 when they go to the marriage altar they will not go pure three-fourths of them will not will not go to the marriage altar pure. ladies and gentlemen you and i see it we you work with these people you know these people i went to school with these people they live just like the world they drink the, the world's beer. They drink, I mean, they live the world's morality. They live terrible, wicked lives. And what I'm telling you is that they have forsaken the law of God. And the final characteristic of a person whose divine feminine has risen is that they become overwhelmingly agreeable. They want to get along with everybody and they don't have any problem with anybody anymore. They're kind of like a hippie where they're just like, man, everything's cool, everything's good, everybody's awesome, everybody's amazing. We love everybody and we want to get along with everybody.
2: Love you. Bless you. Love you. Bless you.
3: Even so, Lord Jesus Christ, come quickly. Come now to unify.
2: I believe that the Catholic Church. In the Christian Church, we're going to
1: come together. <laughs> we have far more in common than what divides us. When you talk about Pentecostals, Charismatics, <laughs> Evangelicals, uh, Fundamentalists, Catholics, Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, on and on and on and on.
2: And how good it
3: is to come together centered on what we can agree on
0: a lot of people look at that and say what's wrong with that well the problem is is that it is agreeable of everything including sin it won't stand against anything it has no problem with anybody it just can get along with anything
2: Adiyogi absorbed her and made her a part of himself and hence he is the Ardhanari, the ideal man where one half of him is woman.
0: Now it's no secret that 2020 was a crazy year for basically everybody, and I think we learned a lot about where we are on the timetable of prophecy. The one thing that happened in 2020 was a wave of social justice, and many people discuss that from the realm of politics, and I think that's useful and well. But what happened was, is that there were a bunch of churches that got into social justice. There were people, there were these big names in so-called evangelicalism that had been thought of as heroes of Christianity and leaders of denominations, suddenly were going woke. And many of the political commentators, the social commentators are dealing with the cultural and social and political aspects of this, but nobody seems to really want to dive into the spirituality behind this, the theology behind what we call wokeness. The truth is, is that woke doctrine or woke preachers is just another form of the divine feminine rising in these people. Wokeness is the divine feminine. And so as Christians, we have to pay attention to who's saying what and who really is going woke because those are the people you want to stay away from. When the divine feminine rises in somebody, oftentimes that is manifested as some sort of agreeable empathy. And so all of a sudden you get woke and you start talking about people's rights and what it does, it sounds good. It sounds good. It really, it sounds like you're a loving, caring, nice person when you talk about this stuff. But the truth is this is dangerous. Because what it does is it actually undermines the gospel of Jesus Christ. It absolves certain people of their guilt before God, because not, they're, they're not that way because they're sinners. They're that way because of society. And that is the damnable deception of social justice. And so the divine feminine rising in somebody, they talk about rights and they talk about oppression and they talk about all kinds of stuff. And it sounds good but it's satanic and it's from the pits of hell itself. Just, just
1: talking about white people for a minute. Yeah, right. yeah. You have to offend white people with this topic to get their attention.
2: Mm.
1: You can't, it can't be, you, it can't be stated in balanced tones or we don't even hear it.
3: We need a revolution around the word hospitality so there can be a renewal and a remaking of the world. I want to sacrifice more of my preferences as a white pastor. I need to grow in my laying aside of preferences for members of this body because I want Christ to be exalted through increasing diversity in our leadership and our membership. On a related note, I I do not want to speak from the Bible on issues that are popular among white followers of Christ while staying silent in the Bible on issues that are important to non-white followers
1: of Christ. That's not a faithful pastor is that I I have grown up with this invisible kind of bag of privilege, this kind of invisible toolkit that that I can reach in there at any given moment and and have um, this type of privilege that a lot of other brothers and sisters don't have, don't possess.
0: Now I want to turn more specifically to some of these issues of justice, whether we're talking about racial justice or gender justice or what have you. Tragically, when it comes to many issues of justice, there's often been a malaise in the church, not using the kindest word possible, in large part because the injustice did not directly affect those of us sitting in places of privilege.
1: At Eastlake, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people, brothers and sisters, you are officially encouraged and supported to be involved in the life and work of this church at all levels. And another thing that happens with
0: this is that these people who hold to orthodox views, oftentimes they will not call out a modernist. Like a guy can preach some absolutely insane heresy and they say, "Well, let's look at the good in the guy, not the bad in the guy. Let's try to let's try to find things we can agree on and let's just leave all that secondary issue stuff alone." to keep the law so what god did when he sent his son and this is why we get excited in church and this is why tears
2: fill our eyes when we think about jesus and this is why the gospel is still good news in the world today because god broke the law for love i said to every sinner god broke the law for love But the the
0: fallacy in labeling somebody a false teacher, which is the reason why we have to be very careful, is that you may be blocking somebody else's blessing because in your attempt to try to keep them from consuming false teaching, you may also be keeping them from consuming a lot of true teaching from that particular individual.
1: I've been taking him through the top 100 rock albums of all time right train up a child in the way that they should go and the way that they should go is led zeppelin
0: these person that i've mentioned on this list they have some very very great bible teaching so by labeling somebody a false teacher what you're basically trying to tell people is there is no good there is no value that they can add to this person's life and so therefore you shouldn't listen to them at all I mean, you need to throw all of Stephen Furtick's sermons out because there is absolutely no good that can come from this person. And I think that is just a fallacy. That's another way you can tell people whose divine feminine has risen because they won't call out sin. They won't call out heresy. They won't call out false teachers. These people that are doing this, that refuse to take a stand... Against heretics and false teachers, their divine feminine has risen as well. The only time that these people take a stand is when they're taking a stand against somebody who's taking a stand. That's it. And so a guy gets up and preaches something that is just insane. Well, we don't want to you know be divisive. We have things we disagree with them on, but you know there's still some good there. That is a satanic form of empathy for false teaching you're literally giving quarter to the enemy these people are teaching heresy and you're you're trying to find the good in the heretic that's the divine feminine the last main characteristic of the divine feminine is its calls for agreeableness or another way to put that is calls for unity the divine feminine can get along with just about anybody and it welcomes fellowship with any and all. Helena Blavatsky started the Theosophant Society, or the Theosophical Society, and she said this, the chief aim of the Theosophical Society is to reconcile all religions, sex, and nation under a common system of ethics based on eternal verities. Now one of the main disciples of Helena Blavatsky was Alice Bailey. And Alice Bailey said this, the new age is upon us and we are witnessing the birth pains of the new culture and the new civilization. This is now in progress. That which is old and undesirable must go. And these undesirable things, hatred and the spirit of separation, must be the first to go. Because one of our spiritual enemies' greatest tra- strategies is to divide especially when it
2: comes to the family of god we need bridge builders we need people who can meet in the middle uh we can have uh disagreements but they can be amicable like we can have uh differences in opinion but we could do it in love.
0: Then, man, we need to be in open dialogue and friendly dialogue with one another. When we stand together in unity of
2: mission, we are unstoppable.
0: Uh, I think that we're going to have to make a real concerted effort to walk in greater unity, to be more gracious to one another. You see that they want to unite. They're an agreeable religion. They want to unite with all things and merge it all together. These divisions don't really help anybody. This is a bad thing let's let our walls down let's all come together and let's usher in a world of peace and harmony and let's all get along
2: now
0: the agreeable nature of the divine feminine is quite complex and it actually kind of manifests itself in many different ways one of the ways they do it is that they are they believe in unity they want to like find common ground and that often manifests itself in social justice type type situations Um, also uh, it manifests itself in ecumenical unity trying to get all denominations and heretics involved together but another aspect that it involves itself in and we didn't cover it yet but It is manifested as this inordinate positivity, and the Divine Feminine, if you could really kind of capture it in one statement, it is a wicked, hellish religion that is so hard to detect and so hard to reject for most people because it is wrapped in a very thick layer of positivity and sweetness, and kindness, but at the very core, once you peel all the layers away and all the veneer of that comes off, this is a doctrine that is straight out of hell. It's satanic is what it is. And one of the men who was a big leader of this in times past was a man named Norman Vincent Peale. Norman Vincent Peale is probably most well known for his book, The Power of Positive Thinking. And is a worldwide bestseller, one of the really one of the most famous books of all time. And most people don't know this about Norman Vincent Peel, but Norman Vincent Peel was actually a Luciferian. He was a Satanist. Now that's not what they put in print. What they tell you is that this man was a Freemason. And he openly was. Norman Vincent Peale was actually the, a member of the Midwood Lodge number 1062 in Brooklyn, New York, and he was actually the grand chaplain of that lodge from 1941 to 1951. And the man was openly a, a Luciferian. I mean, this is, this is what the man believed. Now, it's interesting to note that when Billy Graham came and did a big revival and a crusade in the New York area and back in his day, the people that were converted to Christ, apparently, in these meetings were sent to Norman Vincent Peale. Church, And the best way I could sum up Norman Vincent Peale for you was that, like, he was the Joel Osteen of the 50s. Like, he was Mr. Positivity. I mean, he literally was the sweetest, nicest, most positive preacher in all the world. And so that's why I say he basically was the Joel Osteen of the 50s. I mean, that's what he was. Not only was he a grand chaplain in the Freemasons, he was also a grand chaplain in the Shriners as well. And also in 1991, he was inducted in the Scottish Rite Hall of Honor. And there actually is a picture of him hanging up in the Washington, D.C. Temple. Now, if you look at the Bible, I mean, this, this inordinate positivity that they practice, you just don't find this in the Scripture. It's, it's just not there. Uh, There are some negative things in the Bible. Like, for example, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you see that God says, Preach the word, be instant in season. And then he says there's three things that a man's supposed to do in the pulpit. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Now, the exhorting is positive. That is encouraging people to continue and encouraging them to stick with the stuff and and, and don't quit on the Christian life. Uh, But the other two, two two-thirds of the pulpit ministry of the New Testament church is reproving and rebuking and those are negative things now most people today they don't want that and you can actually just go and just listen to these guys yourself and just hear what they're saying they are never taking stands on sin they're not speaking about the wickedness of their day they're not speaking about the immorality of their day they're not speaking against the sins and the vices they they don't speak about that stuff they keep it all positive which proves that the Divine Feminine has risen in these people. These people are not by believing Christians. These people are practicers of the occult. These people are satanic.
1: ...message of hope, usually delivered with his trademark smile. God is not in the condemning business. He's in the restoration business. His sermons are relentlessly positive, and that's made him a target of critics who say Osteen sometimes sounds less like a preacher and more like a motivational speaker. You have to take the hand you've been dealt and make the most of it you know you've been criticized for church light yeah that's right for a cotton candy message
3: do you feel like you're cheating people by not telling them about
1: the hell part no part. no i really don't because it's a different approach you know it's not hellfire and brimstone but i say most people are beaten down enough by life they already feel guilty enough they're not Doing what they should do, raising their kids, or that you know, we can all find reasons. So, I want them to come to Lakewood or our our meetings and be lifted up to say, you know what, I may not be perfect, but I'm moving forward. I'm doing better, and I think that motivates you to do better. And 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 the thing is,
0: please get this: most people think that a luciferian is just some mean, nasty, just you know, like a like a ugly face, mean, hateful, kind of like a like an old pirate or something like that. Okay that's not a luciferian a luciferian is the smiliest happiest loveliest thing you've ever seen in your life that's how these people act the face of satan is not frowny the face of satan is a smiley face this is how you spot these people this is how you catch them the overwhelmingly positive nature of the agreeable aspect of the divine feminine is how you catch these people and they're all the same now that doesn't mean you have to be like a jerk for Jesus all the time either, okay? You shouldn't be that. There there is a there is a pendulum swing all the way to the other side that's just as wrong. Okay, but Bible-believing Christianity is not this overwhelmingly never say anything wrong about anybody ever types thing. That, that is a false doctrine. That is the divine feminine. This is a false doctrine, a damnable doctrine, wrapped in such a thick layer of positivity and sweetness that If you're not discerning and you don't use judgment, you'll fall for it.